If you have your Bibles or your phones with a Bible app on it or your tablets, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15 for me. We'll get going with that here in a little bit. But first, I want to uh, remind us that we're on this series uh, called Taboo. We're looking at a lot of different controversial topics that typically the church doesn't like to talk about. Last week introduced us to this series by going over politics. And if you weren't here last week, I'd recommend that you go online and listen to it because it was a really good look. This series is supposed to invoke new emotions in you. It's supposed to challenge you and get you to think new feelings and experience new feelings that you haven't had to deal with in a long time or ever. And trust me, I would much rather be sitting out there with you guys than being up here, especially with some of these topics that uh, Pastor Dave and others are going to go through. These topics aren't easy, and they're issues that have divided some of the strongest unions in the church and created barriers among all of us and among those who otherwise would have had no problem being in communion with each other. And it's in that truth that I ask you to pray with me now. Father God, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for this message that you have for all of us. May the meditations of my mind and my heart and the words from my mouth purely just be vessels um, to reflect you and what you would have for us today. Amen. The normal pattern for sermons has been to magnify, uplift, and empower mothers on Mother's Day. And with intention or not, it's kind of been meant on Father's Day to kind of diss dads. Many times, dads can leave Father's Day sermons feeling like not only are we not doing enough, but the expectations are unattainable. And this doesn't just hit dads on Father's Day either. One needs only to look to mass media to see the role that our portrayal of fathers and men has played in our society. Research says that fathers are portrayed by consumer brands as incompetent, foolish, and emotionally disconnected. And these involve the reverse standard of completely competent, wise, emotionally connected mothers who oftentimes have to come to our rescue. The current culture likes to laugh at dads and poke funds at all kinds of ways that dads act and are involved in their children's lives. This is a bit different from the TV shows from the 50s and 60s where dads were guides and had wisdom and reason. We've gone from a time of character dads like Ward Cleaver, Ozzie Nelson, Howard Cunningham, and Mike Brady, to Archie Bunker, Al Bundy, and Homer Simpson. I wonder how that's not only affected of our view of what it means to be fathers, but also what it means to be a man. Pastor and author, author Louis Giglio just mentioned in an article this week from Relevant Magazine that the cultural ramifications of our dad problems are visible everywhere. Widespread anxiety and depression are hitting society hard, especially among millennials and Gen Z. According to the U.S. Department of Health, more than 60% of youth suicides happen in fatherless homes. The correlation between anxiety and fatherlessness is hiding in plain sight. In kids and adults, self-confidence has been eroded over time, thanks in part to cultural shifts such as no-fault divorce, which, though well-intentioned, has simply made checking out of the family unit and its responsibilities easier than ever before. Where we're going this morning shouldn't be confused. 
Today is to address the roles specifically that men have in the life of the church and in their families and in their community around them. This isn't anything to condone misogyny or bigotry, and we're not here to compare men's roles to women's roles or getting into a debate whether the Bible speaks to complementarian or egalitarian views. All of those can be sermons and series all by themselves. However, today, in the spirit of Father's Day, I want to turn towards one scripture in particular that I feel like we as fathers and men can learn a lot from um, uh, about our focus and our priorities uh, for our lives. We're going to start in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. And stick with me, we're going to go through the whole, uh, the whole parable here. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs and looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Oh, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you've never even given me one young goat for a feast. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. A little bit of context here for the entirety of this chapter, chapter 15. It's packed full of stories. And like most of Jesus' stories, these speak against cultural norms of the day. And I say this because when you read these stories, they seem to kind of go to extremes. 
Jesus gives us three different examples of what the love of God and by default what the motivations of God are like and what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's normal or usual in our culture today, as in the culture that Jesus was speaking to, to react the way that the key characters um, in these three stories react. I'm sorry, it's not normal um, to react the way that the characters in these stories reacted. This brings us to the drama that is the prodigal son. I don't want to approach this story from either of the son's point of views, as you might be used to hearing it, but rather from the point of view of the father. This story would not have made Jesus' hearers admire the father because this son was insulting the father by asking for his inheritance early. In this story, we learn that what society says men should do isn't actually what they should do. They wouldn't have thought if this, or they would have thought if this was a real man, he would beat the son and disown him. But that's not what happened in this story. And as we'll learn, that's not how God wants anyone to be treated. So we know that at the beginning of the story, the son takes his father's money, goes off, spends it all on bad decisions, and then is left with nothing. It's at the end of the story that I want to focus. We see in verse 20 that the father looks out at a distance and sees his son. And he feels compassion, and he runs, and he embraces him, and he kisses him. Now, in this culture, the culture of Jesus' day, it wasn't considered dignified for an older man to run. It would have required him to lift up his long robe and sprint. And men just wouldn't do silly things like sprinting towards anything back then. And what's worse is that he's not only like sprinting and running towards his son, but his son offended him. His son committed this great evil of taking the inheritance early and squandering the money and now coming back in the state that he came back in. But the father received him in compassion and love. What stereotypical manly things have you been conditioned to speak to in your lives? Have you been the sort of person to say things like, man up, boys don't cry, pick yourself up and dust it off, you're fine, just get over it. It's not bleeding. You spend more time looking in the mirror than a woman does. Stop acting like a girl. Or maybe you've been conditioned to say things like this. You should embrace your feminine side more. You should cry more. You don't focus on your appearance enough. You look sloppy. You'll never be successful unless you actually act like you're successful already. You're the man. Taking out the trash and doing the mowing is your job. This father didn't seem too concerned with how society pre-described, pre-prescribed his roles. And I don't think that we should worry about how our culture wants to define us either. So if this culture, if the culture that the father was in didn't define his roles or pre-prescribe prescribe his roles, then what did? Today I want to suggest that as fathers and men, we can narrow down all these mixed signals that culture might be giving you about how you should act down to just three main points. And those are to love unconditionally, live humbly, and to lead by teaching. And I believe the Father in this story gives us that model to go after. 
First, love unconditionally. I believe this is the most important thing that men can do, is love. A simple, unconditional love for his son is what drove this father to his actions. Against all of society's pressures, this man had to consider what was most important to him in his context, not the culture's context. We see another example of this when Jesus had to speak to which of the 613 commandments in the law were most important. His response was to love, love God, and love others. This is a message that God has been trying to get into all of our thick heads since creation. So, of course, in this lesson on what not only fatherhood, but also manhood should be, reflects this same idea. The overarching point is to love. Men, your primary role is loving those that God has given you. Jesus told us that if you can get this whole love thing down, figured out, that the entirety of the law can be accomplished. Let that sink in for a bit. The next point is that we should live humbly. Verse 22, the father yells and says, Bring quickly the best robe. Whose robe in the house would that have been? It would have been the father's. There's no indication that the son had even bathed at this point. I'm probably pretty confident that anyone in here can imagine that if our children or friends would come to our house and they had spent the last few months eating with pigs and they were all muddy and gross, that the first thing we might want to do is point them to the closest shower. But can you imagine the first thing you do is you take the most expensive clothes that you own and drape it over your son That was the father's first response. He puts it on his son and then says, give him a ring. This is my son, and he deserves to be cloaked in and honored by the best that I have. And even above that, go ahead and give him sandals. Now, in that day, servants probably wouldn't be wearing sandals, but they would go and fetch the sandals for their masters, and they were probably the ones that would also even tie the sandals to their master's feet. And so the son, thinking that he was going to return in disgrace and be lowered to the point of the servant, he was actually elevated. He was given the best robe, a signet ring, and shoes. He's being welcomed back into the household, not as a servant, but as a son. The people listening to this story would have thought, how prodigal is this? How wasteful? He's way too generous. Nobody would have been saying to the father that he was doing the right thing. They would have been saying that he was going way too far in his kindness, that his son didn't deserve this. In fact, that his son was an ingrate. He was raising his son to a point of honor and value. And in doing this, he was humbling himself and lowering his own image in the culture around him. So this is why I like to suggest that we as men can learn and need to learn to live humbly. And I believe that true humility means that as men, a lot of times we kind of have to swallow pride and we have to be willing to follow when the occasion calls for it. One of the most important lessons that I learned at my time managing AT&T retail stores um, was that there were two basic types of authority that I had to deal with. One was kind of this out-in-front supervisor. 
This is the kind of leader, if you can imagine, that would charge into a battle first with the army behind them. Or a boss that might say, you know what, I'm at the head of the train, the train is rolling, either get on it or get off it, because we're heading this direction. And I did have my fair share of this experience as an employee. But the problem that I experienced with this type of authority was that you can be so focused on yourself, so focused on your own ambition and your own drive, that the people that you think are behind you, that you're leading, are gone. They're no longer following you. You're alone. The second kind of authority is the one that follows behind the team. This is individual to with insight to kind of stay in the background and get the big picture of what's going on. This is an individual who's able to see their team, never abandons them, ready to push them when they need to be pushed, teach them when they need to be taught, and when the occasion calls for it, let them take all the glory for even maybe some of your accomplishments. In this model, the focus is more on the individual that you've been given than your own desires. By focusing on their development in the future, what their priorities and motivations are, you ultimately help them in accomplishing your own potential and your own goals. The father in this story never stopped following his son. He never truly stopped pursuing him and placing the son's needs above his own. Notice how earlier we were told that the father saw his son coming from a long distance, a long way off. This heart, this father's heart, never stopped following after his son. He waited and he watched, and he undoubtedly prayed a lot. And when this son returned, in what should have been disgrace and shame, this father humbled himself. He doesn't give his son the I told you so lecture, but gives his son all the due respect and position that he had had all along, despite his faults. Lastly, I want to talk about lead by teaching. And I want us to look at the older son here. Verse 28, the brother was angry, and the culture at that time would have agreed with him, would have supported him in this. He was a good son, after all, the just son, not only the one that hung around, but the one that remained faithful and diligent in his work. He never complained about the father's decision to split up the inheritance and let his brother go in the first place. He was the model example of what honoring one's father should have been. That is, of course, until he wasn't. This is where we see this third role I want to highlight in being a leader. This father had to set an example and use this as an opportunity to teach his oldest boy. Here your brother was dead, but now he is alive. We have to celebrate this. The son may not have realized it there, but his father was giving one heck of a leadership lesson, not only to him, but to his entire household as well that was watching all this happen. Dads, our children are watching us. Everything we do and everything that we say. It's a scary thought. But what an amazing opportunity to grab onto and to take seriously. The Bible has tons of to talk about what men should do in various situations. Like, a lot to say about it. Way too many to go over here. A common theme among all of them, though, kind of deals in some way about modeling behaviors for others. Deal with leading. 
some way talking, uh, taking leadership seriously and how we're supposed to be teaching the people around us that God has given us. You should be te- leading by teaching. I want to encourage all men to take these three roles, loving unconditionally, being humble, and leading with the intention of teaching to heart. These three points are meant to equip you. My hope is that they've empowered you with a way to help you drown out all the other noises that you hear about what you should do and how you should act. Before we pray, I want to say this. Society today has placed such a heavy burden on men. We're labeled either as too manly or not manly enough. We are told to take a back seat when we feel like maybe we should be leading. And maybe we take a back seat um, uh, when all the time we should have been up there. Men, we need to stop trying to keep up with this pace in our culture today that we clearly can't keep up with. This story of the prodigal son has given us a roadmap to work with no matter what perspective we find ourselves in, whether we find ourselves in the son's point of view or the father's point of view. I want to encourage you to be proactive with the specific areas that God has given you leadership over, whatever that looks like in your family context or your greater community. Own what God has given you stewardship over, but always do it with love, humility, and leadership, yes, but with the point of teaching. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the message that you've given us. Thank you for this example that you've given us of what fathers and men should be and act. God, we know that you've given us this kind of perfect ideal, and uh, we thank you that even in this same lesson that we learn that we don't have to live up to the perfect ideal but that you've given us this, this roadmap, these ways of, of thinking about how we approach fatherhood so that we can live consistently in your truth. Maybe you're here today and the perspective of the Father really wasn't something that you were able to connect with, but the perspective of the prodigal son, maybe, or the older brother, maybe. And if that's you and you've never had an opportunity to say yes to God, maybe because of your own experience with your father growing up and how that's made you perceive God as a loving father. I want to give you a chance today. I want you to hear that you don't have to be perfect. Son certainly wasn't, either son. But that God is sitting there and waiting for you, watching for a distance, never has stopped following after you. And he is ready to run to you with arms wide open. If that's you and you want to take that step, I just ask that in the quiet of your heart that you repeat these after me. Father God, in a lot of ways I feel like the prodigal in this story. God, maybe there's some stuff that has happened in my life that I'm not proud of, choices that I've made, ways that I've ran from you, maybe because of the way that my own father had treated me growing up. But God, I know that what I need to do is come home. And I know that you're there waiting for me. And I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me for the choices that I made. From now on, I want to live life your way.
In Jesus' name, amen.